Good morning, Henry. A wonderful good morning. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. Um, the title of this episode, uh, The Sinking of the MV Explorer. I must admit I've never heard of the MV Explorer. So I guess you will tell us a bit about that. Before we do that, though, a little... Uh, just want to point everyone again to our Twitter account that we use to not only announce these episodes, but also to yeah mention interesting things, retweet interesting things about what's going on in the Arctic, in the Antarctic. And uh, it's worth checking out and it's called curiously polar of all things so if you go to twitter uh, or just follow the link in our show notes then that will take you there and would love if you'd follow us so the explorer what is what what happened i must admit i have no idea what happened there well it probably happened before your time in the polar region um just started It's uh, a very infamous ship. It uh -huh. was known as the Little Red Ship because it was uh, a rather small one, 100 passengers, 54 crew, and it was the first purposely built um, expedition cruise ship, which was built oh. by uh, Lars-Erik Lindblad, um, one of the leading figures of expedition cruises. So it served in the beginning of its career for uh, Lindblad expeditions, as a Lindblad Explorer, and then changed ownership several times until it then, in 2004, was acquired by Canadian GAP Adventures, which is now called G-Adventures. So the, the Explorer was the ship that kind of kicked off this kind of tourism to go on expeditions around uh, faraway places in the polar regions. Yeah, it was uh, one of the ships that ha has a lot of first to be in its track record. It was the mm -hmm. first passenger vessel that actually um, navigated the Northwest Passage in '84. Uh, it um, went up the Amazon River as one of the very first um, ships almost the entire way and uh, was one of the first ships um, bringing tourists to Antarctica back in the in, in the days so there have been very very few passenger ships um in antarctica in that uh, at that time so you you said it was called the little red ship i'm just looking at the photo here on the wikipedia page that we have linked in the show notes and uh <laughs> from 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 my experience with being on on passenger ships in the polar regions well the arctic in this case um 100 passengers is bigger than any any of the ones I've been on so far, so I would say um, <laughs> this it's, it's it's from my from my perspective it's decent sized. Well, um, you have to um, to have a look or to to remind yourself where tourism is coming from. So we used to have those big cruise ships. We still have those big cruise ships um, where uh, people are just spending most of the time inside a ship and very little time uh, ashore. So if you compare that ship to those kind of um, cruises, then this is indeed a little ship. Okay. Okay. So it's all, it all matters on your perspective, I guess. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. So the Explorer had a lot of firsts, a lot of um, pioneering things. Uh, when was it built? 
It was built in 69. Okay. As 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 was I. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same age. All right. So but but you wrote uh, that it sank. Apparently it did, yes. Um in in 2007 in late 2007 oh, okay. in uh, November, it started um a cruise which was supposed to follow explorer Ernest Shackleton through Drake Passage and um well, ironically, as the expedition of Shackleton uh, did, um, this trip didn't end well. Um, given an overall perspective, it actually went well for uh, the accident that happened, um, because what we can just um, tell in the, in the beginning, um, everybody survived the sinking ship. So 155 um, people survived the sinking of uh, the MV Explorer. But, um, yeah, on the 23rd of November, the ship um, discovered um, some ice on on the sea, which is not a surprise in Antarctica, especially <laughs> not, not at the end of... not unusual at all, yes. <laughs> exactly, especially not at the end of the Antarctic um, winter or in the, in the Antarctic the, spring. D- does the Explorer have any sort of an ice class? Is it is it classified for breaking ice or... Back in the days, that was one of the top-notch um, ships for polar regions. It has a class A1 uh, reinforced um, hull for ice, uh, has both thrusters and some very reliable diesel engines. So it actually is classified to go through ice, um, but it is classified to go through certain ice. And that's something that will be important um, during the incident because what in fact happened is that um, the crew just discovered uh, yeah, a big big pack of ice uh, in front of them. They, they wanted to um, initially go to the Antarctic Peninsula, but uh, there was too much sea ice to go there. So they decided to go to Panquin Island, um, close to King George Island, on the other side of Brensfield Strait. So it's basically uh, when you have the Antarctic Peninsula, which is like the tail of um, Antarctica, uh, you have a tiny group of islands on the uh, westernmost tip of the Antarctic Peninsula. And uh, the biggest of those is uh, King George Island. And close to that is the little Penguin Island, which was the uh, destination of choice in that moment. To go there, they just uh, experienced some sea ice. And uh, the captain, a Swedish captain with quite some experience, 20 years of experience, um he decided to go through that uh, ice field. Uh, he identified the ice as one-year-old ice and uh, said, well, the vessel is ex- actually built for those kind of ice conditions, so we just um, find our way through. The report later on actually identified here two first um, mistakes or two first um, misjudgments Um First was to decide to go into the ice um, in the dawn. So it was um, the day was uh, ending. We were going into the night and starting to uh, ascend into an ice field at the dawn is not the smartest move. And the second was that later on, this ice was identified to be not uh, one-year-old ice. So... Uh- I've been on ships that didn't have ice classes, but that have that had like strengthened hulls to be able to 
cope with some level of ice and i remember like carefully driving through um just fresh sea ice around svalbard that just had didn't have much time to go uh to 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 get strong and it took yeah, it was it wasn't hard to get through that and i remember at one point just uh to, uh, pushing away carefully pushing away some ice floats but also not very old ones so they were not very solid um that that ice there um he thought it was one year ice so it, are you saying that the sea ice that is one year old isn't uh, as strong as other ice exactly so um when sea ice is forming um it takes quite some time to um get a certain kind of density which gets really dangerous um if ice is not older than a year, then you can expect uh, a certain thickness, which never okay. will be um, reached, and uh, a certain density. So it's easier to break than other ice. It's far from being um, without any problem. It still is quite dangerous to go through one-year-old ice. You have to have certain um, ship types, certain hull reinforcements to, to be able to, to uh, cut through those ice. But it definitely is the easiest part of ice, of sea ice to go through. So what you experienced in Svalbard, actually, um, that's kind of the exception. Where you have very fresh sea ice. Uh, you see it's very thin. It was, Usually, almost, it was almost slushy. Yeah, it was kind exactly. of easy, easy to push through, yes. So, so that's like the, the earliest stage of sea ice when it forms. You have this frazzled ice and then it gets greasy. It, it sticks together, but it still is slushy. It's not really solid. So going through there is um, something different than going to ice at the end of the winter, for example, even if it's the same um, the same ice. So if, if you have that grease ice um, just developing over the winter, it will form um, proper ice. And when you go at the end of the winter through that same uh, chunk of ice it will be much much thicker much denser so you definitely have to have a different um ship type bow type to go to cut through that ice but still what what they um explored down there in the antarctica was a little bit different from what they expected what they um thought they were uh, going through so they um in fact decided to go through the uh, through that ice and that went quite quite okay so the uh, crew actually warned the passengers beforehand that it might get a little noisy because the ice clanging against the hull is just creating a big pack of noise. And um, so everybody was uh, aware of that. And uh, then you could see actually the, the end of the ice field. You could see the open sea. But um, between the ship and the open sea was um, a bigger patch of ice. And the ship couldn't make it through the ice. So the captain just decided to uh, take a strategy he learned on uh, the Baltic Sea to back up the ship and take another um, yeah, another round to go on the ice and break it. And uh, he actually told his uh, first officer, that's how you break ice. You just have, if, if it's too thick to go through, you just back up and you just take a second run. If that doesn't work, you just back up and take a third run. Um Apparently, that ice he was going on to wasn't one-year ice. It was apparently older, thicker, denser, and uh, it ripped off the hull. Ouch. 
so yes is is the okay so so the, the ice is too strong and he keeps going at it uh, did he go on at it for more than two times or was that no was that actually on the on the second time okay. uh, it was enough uh, so he actually pushed that away he didn't broke it he pushed um the big piece away but um he pushed it away in a way that it uh, still ripped off the um site the um starboard site i think it was and that was actually uh, discovered um accidentally by uh, a passenger he was in his cabin and he tried to sleep <laughs> and he um he couldn't really sleep because it was so noisy so he held his hand at the end of his bed which was um very close to the hull and at a certain point the hole was just um coming into the room and just squeezed his hands towards the bed um <laughs> so he took his hands out and tried to uh, to to switch on the light and he figured that the light was completely so completely wet and there was water running down uh, the hull so the wall of his cabin so so to, just just to understand how a ship is built you have this inner structure right which uh mm -hmm. um are like the I'd like to compare it like the ribs in a whale, right? <laughs> like, like the, the give, gives it gives it structure, and then uh, onto that the hull is is fixed, and the hull is just one layer. In this case, I guess it was one layer of steel. And that's exactly the thing. Um, with some more modern ice breakers, you have a double hull, and you have had a double hull at that ship, but just at the bottom, at the keel of the boat, and at the bow. But the sides were just um, one layer, and that was um, yeah, pretty much the problem. So we we are not so talking we, we're not talking about uh, the ice ripping off the hull and the ship immediately filling with water. But it was it was was it just a major gush or how big was that hole? Do do we know that? That's a that was a big question, a big mistake or uh, the big misunderstanding. So the, the passenger, um, when he figured out that the wall is wet, he just stood up and uh, he found himself standing in water already up to his ankles, and um, he just um, called called the alarm. So the officer, first officer, came down and figured that well, the whole deck three was full of water, and. They went into the cabin, which um, uh, raised the alarm, and they were they tried to rip off the uh, the, the cabin wall to to get to the hull. Oh, so there's this uh, inner inner wall between the hull and and the cabin, right? Exactly. They ripped off um, uh, this wall, and they found, um, as the crewman described it, a fist-sized hole. Um, so they try to to get something to fix that hole, to just stuff everything into that hole. They did actually with pillows and blankets and some some wood planks, um, and they thought that fixed it. What they discovered though was that there was still water coming into uh, into the ship. The water level was still rising, and the water level was apparently rising in a lot more cabins than just this one, which raised the alarm. So in fact, um, they figured out that there were much more uh, leaks in the ship, which they couldn't fix. They tried to put pumps in to pump it out, but there was more water coming in that the pumps could handle. At the same time, the uh, generator just um, 
yeah failed to work is that so because it pulled, because it pulled water and there was too much water then uh that's something i'm not really aware of if that's really connected to the water or if it was just uh, the fuel pump that didn't work properly um eventually the um chief engineer could build um a new mechanism for the fuel pump uh, he was highly priced for for what he did there because he actually gave the ship the um have ability back to maneuver at least for um for a tiny bit to bring the ship out of the zone of danger so when they got ripped off they made it through the ice belt they um emerged into the open water but uh, when the engine started failing they were drifting back towards the ice and that makes it impossible to lower lifeboats what time frame uh, are we talking about between the water being noticed in the ship and them uh, leaving that field is that a matter of 10 minutes is it a matter of an hour what what's the time frame uh, we are talking about two two hours something like that um the the mayday arm of the ship was um, put out around half past four the uh report of the seawater um in the cabin was around three so that's n roughly 90 minutes um between the report of uh, water getting into the ship and the mayday call and abandoned ship signal Okay, so the the ship is out of the ice field. It's starting to drift back again. The captain issues the mayday call, which is the international kind of uh, emergency call. Help! We need help. Um, and then, were they were they going to abandon ship right there, or what's the next thing that happened? Uh, there was actually um, a very interesting. Um, development so they actually called for help but uh, the argentine um, rescue center was actually telling them to uh, just call back later what so they when they when they wanted to call for help they just got the the answer call later it, that's, um, that's, that's like you calling 911 and they go um well please call back all operators are busy right now <laughs> wow exactly that's it's really ridiculous in, in a situation like that um they in fact called the uh, authorities from argentina three times um each time they uh, were told call back um they fortunately could make uh, contact with nearby cruise ships themselves and also uh, call the um navy of chile so that's actually uh turned the paper that uh, was the the turning point in the whole thing uh the captain was um highly priced in the report for his decision to evacuate the passengers to the lifeboats early in the incident so 90 minutes after the water was reported um the first officer tried to fix the um, the leak that was discovered figuring out that's not the only leak there's still water coming in the captain took the decision now or never he the, the boat started tilting so it was um laying to one side already and he just decided abandon ship now or never and that was pretty much the decision that saved 154 lives of uh, that ship so everyone got out alive how did they get out 
they um, actually boarded um, the lifeboats. They had uh, a couple of lifeboats. They were open lifeboats, like mm-hmm. rowing boats. Uh, it's something you you can't imagine uh, to, today. Nowadays. Today you would have like uh, like these these uh, self inflating island kind of uh, life rafts that that are stored on most of the ships, I guess. But back then, really, really like like Titanic level, pretty much rowboats on the ship. The life rafts you're referring to, you will find on smaller expedition vessels. Um, usually, the expedition uh, cruise ships they have uh, proper life boats which are um, pretty much like lifeboats on, yeah, also on the bigger cruise ships, <laughs> on um, on cargo ships. You have real proper lifeboats. That shows my experience with bigger boats, which is not very big. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so lifeboats are the norm from, from a specific size. They, I guess they will still have some life rafts there as well, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you always have life rafts as um, additional supply there. That's um, something you can count on um what i learned on the ships i worked on um with a capacity to up to 200 people is that the life boats are um, exclusively for passengers and the crew has to go in live rafts Hmm, those inflatable thingies i don't know why that distinguishing is uh necessary and what that actually is for um i couldn't find anyone to explain that to me but um apparently that was what was explained to me on several occasions. Okay. However, they got into those lifeboats, open lifeboats, um, in a very cold environment, um, just close to sea ice. Um, they figured out that the lifeboats are heavily overloaded. So the captain actually decided to put uh, Zodiacs into the water, so uh, rigid inflatable boats. Um, and they used the, uh, the Zodiacs also as lifeboats, but also what uh, then came on top of the whole worst-case scenario, the engines on the lifeboats didn't work. So the Zodiacs <laughs> were actually pulling the lifeboats. So it's a lot of things coming together. And if you read the report, the final incident report, uh, it's just ridiculous what can come together in a situation like that. Aren't, aren't, aren't the engines on lifeboats required to be tested regularly i I would think that's the case i have no idea how it was in 2007 it it is like that um today so you have to have a check um, i think every year or every two years i'm not sure about that Mm. but you have to check them you have a label which uh needs to be checked every year um they have to be tested so um, i don't know how that could ever happen um the uh, guests on board the passengers reported that the zippers of the life suits actually were completely corroded so you couldn't use them at uh, a lot of things coming together in that um, scenario so Definitely. is that a sign that the explorer wasn't in generally wasn't in very good shape or was that just a combination of unfortunate events that's a, a question how you would like to put it um um, I would be careful to, to say the um, explorer wasn't uh, well maintained enough to uh, to go that far. It appears that some items at the explorer um, they were not suitable for that kind of emergency. However, it worked out in the end. Um, that's something you always have to keep in mind. Even though the equipment wasn't top notch and it wasn't 
um, at the state of the art for for that time, it still was enough to get everybody uh, off board alive, which is good. So, uh, how were they? Uh, for sure, yeah. How long were they in the lifeboats, and what happened then? You will, you will find um, different uh, referrals to the time um, the passengers spent on the open water. Uh, you find everything between three and uh, six hours, pretty much everything. Um, what we can um, can see on the timestamps of uh, the ships that came to rescue is that they um, entered the scene 7.30, which is three hours after the distress call. And uh, the first ship on site was uh, the Hüttegruten uh, ship MS Nordnorje. And uh, Nordnorje was uh, able to take all the passengers on board. Um, the MN Ushuaia and the National Geographic Endeavour also um, went into the area uh, trying to help. However, the, the Nordnorje was able to get everybody on board and bring it to the next um Chilean uh, military station on uh, Antarctica. I'm just looking at this one dark-blooded article that has a photo of the explorer leaning to the side. It looks kind of scary. It does look scary. <laughs> it must feel much more scary when you're inside at that moment. All right. So what actually was uh, really scary in um, in the whole incident investigation was um, that everybody in the industry was surprised how that ship could possibly um, sink in those waters because it was actually built to operate in those waters. Um, former captains from that vessel, um, they raised questions about um, how that could have been possible. And what was really surprising is that the flag state, so the explorer was running under the Liberian flag, uh, which is an African country. So uh, Liberia, the, the Maritime Authority of Liberia, conducted an investigation which was highly priced in the whole um, maritime industry. So the investigator actually um, interviewed pretty much everybody involved in the incident. And he was lucky enough that the time that happened, 2007, was already um, so well developed that most of the passengers have taken pictures with timestamps and some actually indeed took videos. And not only videos of the incident, but uh, videos of the impact itself. So there have been two passengers up on bridge when that happened and both filmed, no one filmed and one took pictures. And those films were rescued so they have been made accessible and available for the um, investigators and they actually identified that this big piece of ice which um, most likely ripped off the explorer was uh, too thick way too thick to have been mistaken for one year old ice so does that go back to to in inexperience of the captain pretty much or does it also go back to the explorer not being tough enough for that kind of an ice the report actually the report's verdict was that the master of the vessel captain um the swedish captain he was on his first antarctic cruise as oh. a captain that per se is not a, a big disadvantage 
but he, transist, he uh, transacted the the ice fields with an overconfident uh, confident attitude regarding the abilities of the ship and he just struck a wall of ice at a rate of speed that was excessive so when you when you enter an ice field you lower your speed to a minimum one to two knots he went in there with five knots that was already considered to be excessive and what the report actually blamed eventually was the experience of the captain originated from the Baltic Sea, where you have sea ice forming briefly during winter, but disappearing during summer. So you can't really build up ice structures, um, permanently ice structures on the Baltic Sea. So when you go in there, you learn on the Baltic Sea, if you can't uh, break it on your first attempt, have a second one. So you basically go up on the ice and break it um, and he transferred that knowledge into Antarctica, where you have different ice conditions, different types of ice, different strength and density of ice, still with the same ability of the ship. And uh, both things coming together, the um, overconfidential uh, capabilities of the ship and his knowledge transfer, his misjudgment on the ice conditions, yeah, they were the main reason uh, identified by the report to um, the sinking of that vessel. Well, I'll still go on expedition cruise ships. So <laughs> <that> was, <laughs> Me too. Um, Me is too. this is this something that has did did that have any any I don't know did any consequences come out of this? Anything in terms of regulations of and so on? Yes. Has, okay. A lot of consequences has been uh, formed out. Um, in, in, in the aftermath of the uh, sinking of um, the Explorer, there was a lot of talking about um, safety in the industry. And it was even more disturbing um, because it, the, the sinking of the Explorer followed four other potentially serious uh, events in the same region. In less than two years, the MS Nordcap had run aground, the MS Fram lost power, and uh, run into a glacier at uh, the uh, Antarctic Peninsula. The MV Ushuaia struck a rock in the Gerlach Strait, uh, which required all the passengers to be evacuated from the ship, and the Ocean Nova uh, run aground as well. So you have four incidents in just two years, and the fifth incident then actually was a series. Oh, one, see, these all were before the Explorer sank. Yeah, the, the, the two years prior to the uh, sinking of the Explorer. So what actually happened is that um, the incident led to the fact that the cruise ship companies um, they gathered together and they gave themselves binding rules, not just guidelines, but really binding rules, a polar code, if you like so, an Antarctic code. Um, the um, The safety standards have been... Um, reassessed the heavy fuel ban uh, was a result of that tighter specifications for lifeboats higher standards for shipmasters more rigorous eye strengthening in the hull of the ship a lot of things which went into that um, rule set uh, originate from that event so that's a, a, a big achievement um, considering what, what happened there um, 
the immediate result of the Explorer has been a focus on improving the safety for passengers in the event of an evacuation by also using alternative survivor crafts. So that was what actually uh, saved the lives of the majority of the people um, since some of the lifeboats weren't intact. They used the Zodiacs uh, as alternative survivor crafts. And that was something that um, was heavily responded to after that incident. So it has been uh, several years um, since the, the this relevant section of the regulation has been updated. And a lot of those industry players, and I think um, a review um is uh, has been has been overdue after that incident uh, spotted a lot of attention towards the um, safety uh, safety structures on board. So the industry has definitely learned uh, its lessons from there. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> so the explorer is still down there. Um, do we know how deep the sea is where the explorer is lying? It was um, thought to be around six hundred meters, but okay. in uh, but it, no, there was actually <laughs> um, uh, a mission going down there from the British Antarctic Survey, and uh, they could identify the wreck at a depth of one thousand one hundred and thirty meters deep. Yay! Uh, roughly so. four point three kilometers away <laughs> from the reported sinking position, which corresponds to the currents in the area. So that's okay. Kind of okay. So there's uh, a good chance it will stay there forever. Very likely, yeah. I guess safety is better for it now. Definitely. But just to um, sum it up, even though the initial um, incident was caused by misjudgment of the captain, the the overall rescue uh, mission, the whole um, efforts done by the crew, conducted by the captain, have been praised highly, not only by the report, but also by the industry. So this this guy actually has done a great job in getting everybody... Uh, off board alive and safe um afterwards the report blamed his inexperience um in 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 the area even though he still continued um working as a captain i'm not sure if he went back to polar regions but i know for sure he worked in uh, tropical waters all right next time in a ship on an in antarctica i'll ask the captain if he trained in the baltic sea all right. <laughs> okay, I think that sums it up. Um, interesting story. Glad no one died. Glad everyone made it out safe. So, the MV Explorer. And uh, that brings this episode to an end. Episode 54 of Curiously Polar again. Check out our Twitter account, Curiously Polar, on Twitter. And we'll link everything in the show notes, including... Um, a link to uh, episode 22 of this little podcast where Mario and I talked about uh, different ship classes and ice classes. So there's a bit more information on that as well. And um, yeah, that was it. Make sure you come back next week for another interesting topic. Until then, take care. Take care.